cliffcentral.com. All right, morning. The Bunch Show, 22nd of June. June's flying through, and June's International Rugby Month. The box are good again. How good does that sound? Twitter's no longer a face, or sorry, a place where people just fight and get angry. It's been really positive. It's finally the British and Irish Lions time. They're going to be taking on the might of the All Blacks. Uh, Australia really cuck. They lost to Scotland. Plus, there's cricket on the go. There is football. Well, I would say football, but it's basically just tax evasion. That's all that's happening with the round ball right now. Tax evasion and the Cod Fed Cup. Got to say, I really don't give a toss about either. And then Andy Murray, well, he's getting worse in tennis by the looks of things. And then the golf. We just had the US Open last week, which was really, really cool. So much to get into. And, of course, because it's a whole hour and it's Cliff Central, there's no funny breaks. There's no strange formats. We can just talk, talk, talk for a whole hour. And, um, well, recently I've had, like, bitty guests here and there. I'm not saying the people were bitty. It's the how I showcased them were kind of bitty over Skype calls or really terrible telephone lines, which I can assure you have now been fixed. So it won't sound like this is the 80s and I'm in my garage. So I've got Derek Alberts actually in studio today. Now, we chatted to Derek recently and he was such a great guest. So it's nice to have him here in the flesh. Derek, good morning. Hey, how are you doing, Benjamin? Derek, I'm actually tired. I'm actually quite buggered. Good. I was having this discussion earlier with uh, on the Gareth Cliff Morning Show. Yeah. Is that not only am, am I a lightweight, I just can't do early mornings plus booze. I can do one or the other. I, I, I don't know about your early mornings, but I've spent nights with you and I... I would say that you can't do booze either. That's irrespective, irrespective of the, the early mornings. You know what? Whenever I see Derek normally socially, it's at a sporting event. It's midweek and he's looking to have a few drinks. I'm thinking if I didn't go home now, I'm going to wake up with maybe four or five hours sleep and then I'm absolutely useless. So Derek, I, you know what? I'll take that. What you just said now, I'll take that. I must come across as the most boring you relative young person on the face of this earth. No, no, no. You're not too bad. Uh, I must give you some credit. <laughs> and uh, we also had the Cape Town 10s where you did fairly well. I think I've... Off vom- the rugby field I, as well. I think I've vomited both nights. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> now, Derek, you've just been in Mauritius for a rugby event of a different nature. Yeah, speaking of 10s, um, I was at the Beachcomber Mauritius World Club 10s. Cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. What a what a place to go to. And the Bulls finally won something there. Yeah, they did. I think that's probably why they entered in the first place. Although, you know, it looked as if the Cheetahs would have taken the trophy because at the end of day one, they played in the final match. They were both in the same group. Yeah. And the Cheetahs ran away with things. Roscoe Speckman did what Roscoe Speckman does. Yeah. Scored a, a ph- phenomenal solo try. And then, uh, yeah, they played in the final and uh, the Bulls completely outplayed them. Wow. Uh, cool concept. I mean, you know about tens, and uh, yeah, it is great because it's it's rugby, but it's like so it's just so much faster and it's fun. It's and, faster, and, and these tournaments are so social and just entertaining. They are, and it's not just. I mean, you could say sevens is faster, which it is, but this allows the fatties to play as well because still some structure. There's still some structure, and you're only ten minutes a half. So remember, we had a, a couple of big guys on our side who would basically be having smoke breaks. And the side of the field and in between drags gone and scrum and come off again <laughs> looking back on that that was what how many years ago uh, i think five. it was five years ago five, yeah so about five years ago derek had a team called the Cormac chameleons which you still got yeah yeah still, we still got it. your team and he asked me to go play and i was thinking oh this is such a great idea and uh i did it for one year i twisted my ankle in a molehill which meant I couldn't play golf for two months after that, and then suddenly it wasn't a great idea, but it was fun. It was, and and before you twisted your ankle, we were playing in the final game of the group stages, and we had gone undefeated. And if we had won, if we had topped our group and won that final match, then we would have gone through to the cup playoffs. And yeah. uh, we were losing, I think, five nil with about a minute to play. You got the ball on the wing inside our twenty-two, ran around their winger. You had the fullback to beat, chipped it over his head, caught it, and darted down beneath the post, and we won Derek, the game. That, that is very kind, very flattering. Yes, that did happen. <laughs> I see. I don't just play golf, and then you vomited later. And then I did. Yeah, I did terribly on the funnel. Right. So, um, Derek, I a couple of things to get through, uh, but I really want to have a nice big rugby chat with you because, well, things have turned for the Springboks. I know the French aren't exactly amazing, but the way they started that Durban Test suggested that they were there to play. But I think some credit needs to come to this box side now after a terrible 2016, where it just became the norm that everyone was just throwing crap at them. Yeah, you know. That first test match, everyone spoke about how bad that French side was. And it yeah. certainly was. I mean, no one knew who, who the hell those guys were. So they would 
be up for the challenge for the second one. Well, the way the, the way their coach was insulting them after the game, I don't <laughs> yes. think that he still knows any of them. And uh, you, you can only play what's in front of you. Sure. And the box were fantastic. I mean, it was a completely different French side that we saw on Saturday. And uh, the box overpowered them. And and the nice thing for me, I mean, I watched it. I was very lucky to watch it in the company of some sound rugby minds on Saturday during this right. rugby tournament. And uh, they, we, we all came to the conclusion, irrespective of the result, I don't remember a box side playing with as much fluidity and confidence, especially a backline, yeah. as they did on Saturday. It's, it's fun to watch. And also composure and defense. I mean, there was a, oh. there was a phase where the French just had the ball for about five minutes. Yeah. And, and that's been a hallmark that we've seen missing from the box for a long time yeah. over the last couple of years. Uh, we've tended to leak a lot of tries well, we, and, and not score any soft, either. Soft moments, basically. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and it was quite nice. I think watching the British and Irish Lions series, we've come to realize how important defense is um, mm. in the few matches that the Lions have won. And, yeah, the box looked the, the real deal, finally. Granted, two games in. And Stuart Berry, um, he was one of the referees up uh, in Mauritius. And he was saying, you, you, you know, don't discount the fact that this is a lethargic French team. They're coming at the end of the season. and uh, and, and that's true. But, again, you know, what are the box supposed to do? And they did pretty well against uh, exactly. the opposition. But it's not like they're just playing against tackling bags. So they're not just playing against like a lackluster Fiji or something. There's still some pedigree in that French team. So Derek and I are going to chat about that more at length. And of course, the British and Irish Lions tour gets to the real political stage now. We've kind of been, um, I wouldn't say to, like um, disillusioned by what this team is because they've got two teams. So it's the midweek team that's been losing mm-hmm. and then the Saturday team seems to pull it together. And as a friend of mine who lives in Ireland who I've got a bet with keeps telling me, Real, real men play on Saturdays. So we'll get into that as well. But, uh, before that, there's a couple of things to wrap up from the week. Of course, the US Open was a huge event because it was Aaron Hills. Now, the US Open basically is like the golfing equivalent of the comrades. It's just horrible. It's uncompromising. That golf course does not care about you. It certainly doesn't care about your score. But after a couple of shambolic years of the US Open where it's just been too tough, and it hasn't been a great spectator spectacle. They made it a bit more open. Erin Hills is in Wisconsin, so there's lots of land there. So they can make these big, chunky courses with the big fairways. And even though the fescue you can lose children in, there wasn't much wind. Ricky Fowler started off with a 65. Justin Thomas then shot a 63 on Saturday, which was in its own way kind of controversial because everyone was saying to Johnny Miller, how does it compare with your 63? Because Johnny Miller, who's an old guy now, back in, I think, 73 or... Call it early early seventies. He had what many people believe is the greatest master or greatest major round ever. He shot sixty three. He won the U.S. Open. He beat a field with all the greats of the day. And Johnny Miller, to his credit, stood firm and said, "Yeah, it's not a U.S. Open that I know." But because he's old and he's not on social media, everyone just ripped him a new one, <laughs> saying, "Oh, you grouchy old bastard!" Whatever, whatever. But it is Johnny Miller sixty three. And as much as I like Justin Thomas, Johnny Miller sixty three is still the best round in the majors. Even though in relation to par, Thomas went one below. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, it's just comparing things in sport is just silly because everyone's got their own merit and achievement in sport is a unique thing. So you, you can never understand the pressure these guys go through. You can never understand the context purely. We've got to just basically, um, appreciate what it for it, for what it is. I mean, obviously Gary Player's majors were much more difficult to win because he grew up poor, but we can't keep comparing him and on the rest. And of course, senior majors are so difficult to win. So let's just appreciate everything. But uh, a bit of a touching story that came from from the U.S. Open, Derek. I'm not sure if you heard about this, but someone died at the U.S. Open. No, no, I didn't. So a man died. Okay, he was 94, just before you get too upset. I'm not saying old people are shouldn't be upset about them dying, but this old dude, he went to the golf with his son, and uh, he was on the sixth hole, and he watched for about three hours with his son, and then that was it. He just died in his seat. But I mean, he was like old, old, old. Like I said, 94. And all he wanted to do was watch Steve Stricker play. Cause Steve Stricker's a Wisconsin, a Swanson native. And, uh, basically he got his dying wish. Cause Stricker hold like a bomb of a putt on the, on the green in front of him. And he literally died kind of after that. He just sort of, that was a natural How causes. long after? Well, obviously the conversation wasn't riveting between father and son here, but he sort of just passed away naturally. And, uh, he had a do not resuscitate, um, kind of order on his life. Oh, wow. So the paramedics, I mean, he was 94. Yeah. yeah probably wanted to go. Mm. His wife had died and he just, well, he just wanted to see Steve Stricker at the US Open. 
How's that? Uh, I hope Stricker goes to the funeral. Did um, two incredible stories that have stemmed from the US Open for me. Uh, the one, have you heard about that guy's bet? So no. he, there's this guy who took a bet at uh, at the start of the year on naming the four major winners, and he right. put down uh, a pound, and he said to win two million pounds if they're all four. So far, he's got two out of two. Oh wow! Which yeah. in itself is ridiculous. I- I- incredible. Sergio Garcia and Bruce Kepka. So the other two, Brooks, uh, Brooks Kepka, yeah, and um, the other two are uh, your boy, uh, the American, the the youngster. Uh, Ricky Fowler. Who fluffs it at Aaron Hills. Yeah. Uh, so he's got him down to win the Open. And then for the PGA, he's got Justin Thompson, Thomas. So four complete rookies or, or non-major winners. Does this guy have a history in witchcraft and sorcery? No, he, he actually is a pro player, I think, or he is a pretty good golfer. So that's the one story. The other story, have you heard about the history of Aaron Hills, how it came to be? Uh, all I heard in the beginning was there was an ice age and the land got formed, but that was like two million years ago. Yeah, after that. Yeah. Um, oh, the- I, I kind of hope it gets more exciting <laughs> than that. There was an, a complete anorak who who was a a golf nut and a complete nerd as well. I think he sat in his office and he had this ideal to create this golf course. So he went and sourced land. He found there in Hills and he found investors and he found mm-hmm. this guy who had a lot of money. He made his money through postcards and calendars. And um, they created this course together. And then while this course was about to become created, the, the Anorak went and murdered his wife. Wow. So he's currently sitting in prison, the guy who created Erin Hills. Oh, that would explain that headline for that story I didn't read about the guy who created it isn't going there to see There we it. go. So there's the guy, the founder of Erin Hills. So Erin Hills would cease to exist if it wasn't for this guy. Yeah. And he's currently sitting, uh, serving a life sentence in prison just around the corner, actually, from Erin Hills. Uh, because he wow. murdered his wife during That's the crazy. entire thing. Gee, that's Derek spicing up the golf chart before we even get into the rugby. Good on you. Yeah, so like Aaron Hills was actually purpose-built for the U.S. Open. They wanted to get the U.S. Open. That that was exactly it because what happened was they went in 2000, this Anorak guy and the big investor went off to Pebble Beach to watch the U.S. Open. And the the multimillionaire, he saw this and he said, this is my ideal. He goes, I want to build a course that can host the U.S. Open. Yeah. And that's when they, they got to task. And Maybe his wife didn't agree with him. Well, she didn't because he she was a complete breadwinner. And oh, this guy right. was spending all his time building and designing this golf course for a pittance. The investor loved his ideas but didn't pay him for it. Not very much. And I think she just got tired. She wanted a divorce. They said the one day they saw him walking down the road pushing his kids in a sleigh and they said, hey, how are things going? He goes, no, good. Meanwhile, she had he had murdered her the night before, wrapped her up in a carpet and put sleeping tablets next to her bed and said she tried to kill herself, never mind the fact that she had uh, gashes in her head. Not quite what sleeping tablets do. Jeez. Yeah, that's quite an Aaron Hill story. But Brooks Kepko was the big story, of course. Now, I've been backing this guy to win a, a US Open in particular mm. quite a while now. Hits it long. There's just so much, like, he is, like, the epitome of what golf is right now. Big, tall, strong guys who just have the composure and they have this no fear approach and they just bomb it. And Aaron Hills, the murderous Aaron, Aaron Hills, <laughs> it was all about these players. So we saw Ricky Fowler, he was hitting it good in the first day. Um, Dustin Johnson oddly missed the cuts. Uh, Roy McIlroy missed the cut. John Rahm missed the cuts. The, the ratings for this tournament was not good because so many big guys missed mm. the cut. But Kepka got through and I started watching the golf on, Sunday, and I saw Kepka in the first few holes, and there's no ways I was going to ruin my Monday by not getting any sleep. So I just thought, I'm not going to watch it. I woke up the next morning, and there it was, Bruce Kepka, 67 in the final round. But he's uh, best friends with Dustin Johnson, so he's very much of the Grip and Rippet Academy. Mm. And I'm sure between the two of them, the, the partying that they would have had, just to give you an understanding of who this guy is, here's a quick little nine questions that, that um, Scratch TV did with him. Now, Scratch is, is part of the USPGA Tour, but it's very much the alternative side of things. Their content is absolutely amazing on Twitter, all over social media. So, S-K-R-A-T-C-H. This is Brooks Kepka. <laughs> quick nine, question-wise. How many hole-in-ones have you hit in your life? I've had two hole-in-ones. What's your favorite golf memory? Uh, Playing with my dad and brother growing up. What's your favorite golf word or phrase? <laughs> me. Who's your best friend on the tour? My best friend's Dustin Johnson. What's your 19th hole drink of choice? A little bit of Jack and Coke or some Fireball. What superhero power would you most want? I'd be flying. What's your second best sport? Baseball, my true love. If you could have one part of another player's game, what would it be? Graham McDowell's grit and short game. 
Ever had an animal encounter on the course? Yeah, there was a black mamba in South Africa. They had to stop the tournament. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Hey, we cracked a mention. This guy was cracking out bench presses before he got into the golf course. So it's really, yeah. So that was the US Open and, uh, good for him. What's a fireball? Do you know? Uh, I think it's a kind of bourbon. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, interesting you mentioned that about, uh, Graham McDowell. Yeah, because he hasn't won anything since that yeah. one US Open. Yeah, and apparently, many, many and years, apparently yeah. has the smallest penis on tour. Yeah, it does. He? Like thimble-like. That's, that's what you hear from these guys. <laughs> so in football, there was uh, these tax fraud things just keep coming. So Jose Mourinho, he was embroiled in the whole thing this week. Uh, I had a theory earlier in the week that George Mendes is maybe just he's an agent who's got this greatest scheme because all his his players, all his <laughs> um his, his stars are falling foul of the tax rule. But then Ankel De Maria, who plays for PSG, the Argentinian star, he's now pled guilty to the whole thing. Cause, so basically, when you go to Spain and you make a lot of money in Spain, there these image rights are being funneled offshore somewhere. Mm. Of Panama, mostly. I mean, everything goes into Panama. I mean, like, there's some real horrible slums in that area. Then Panama City is just like Dubai times five. So a lot of money's been going out there for these guys. And the Spanish authorities are going, well, that's not going to be allowed anymore. The Confed Cup's going right now, but Nedbank Cup final between Supersport United and Atlanta Pirates is this weekend's big game, and uh, both of them have so much to try to get out of this game. Pirates have been terrible mostly the whole year. They finished so low down, they're almost in the relegation zone in the PSL, and Supersport United, if they could have just turned some of those draws into victories, then they could have been PSL champions. I know that's a massive stretch, but... It's just a lot of missed opportunities, so they're going to look to right their wrongs this weekend. Uh, oh yeah, one more golf story. Fred, uh, sorry, not Fred, Phil Mickelson and his longtime caddy, Jim Burns Mackay, they have now split ways. They didn't, they weren't at the US Open because Phil Mickelson's daughter was graduating from high school. Mm. This, uh, there was actually a lot of like side stories to this last major. Were. And you got to think like, okay, high school, US Open, which you haven't won. Exactly. And, and the one major that he hasn't the won. The one major he hasn't won. Time, the, to- like, the clock is ticking. But, the, but that is, that is just filled Like his family's always come first. You know, his wife had some, some issues with cancer as well. Pro- proper family man, proper gambler, but proper family man too. <laughs> so they're done. So interesting to see, like to pick up a guy like Bones would be a huge asset for mm. any player right now. And you know, there's like a life cycle with caddies. So a player obviously, the life cycle is themselves, but a caddy can maybe get two or three rotations if they're like really successful. So you can get a guy for maybe 20 years. That's very rare. And then you can try to get an up and coming guy. So Bones, you know, he's just had like, I think both his knees replaced or something. <laughs> Didn't walk very well for a long time. So if he can not pick up an up and coming guy, it's like another story. But- I've, I've heard rumors uh, and I, it purely is that, but I, I don't think it would be the worst idea is Jordan Spieth. Might link up with him. Now, Jordan's had the guy that he's been with for, for ages now, that yeah. school teacher. And remember, I mean, when Jordan burst out onto the scene with the Masters and then he just looked unbeatable. Now suddenly he looks very beatable. Yeah. And I wonder if he would go this route. Uh, it's an interesting thing because Jordan's one of the, one of the main guys who always refers to himself as we. Yeah, you know, he does. You're right. Because now it's become a fashionable thing for players to refer to themselves as we because the caddies are now this thing. Mm. You want to see Baba Watson doing it because he's a massive doist and he treats everyone like shit. <laughs> But Jordan's very much part of this. And yeah, the school teacher was through the amateur ranks, stuck by him. Like there's some interesting caddy dynamics, like Jason Day's caddy. Basically, he pulled Jason Day out of like a, a, a cesspit. He was like 14 and getting hammered. And because, I mean, Jason Day's dad died. Um, and obviously his mother now with, with the cancer problems as well. But he had a very rocky childhood. He grew up as poor as Gary Player. I mean, his first club was a three-wood taken out of a scrap heap. And uh, his caddy literally, I put it together, he had all this talent. He was an amazing young golfer, but he was getting wasted and he had no direction. So that, that duo probably won't split. But you make a good point because a guy like Speed, he'll keep plugging away, but his game has plateaued a lot. That certainly has. And who was the guy the other day who, who posted the video on social media? I forget the player's name. Um, when people had a go, go at him for mistreating his caddy where he threw the club back, and it looked as if he threw it straight at his caddy. Oh, uh, there was a couple of situations like that and, recently. And he posted a video. The other, It was about three or four weeks ago where he spoke about a minute. Uh, he posted it on Twitter saying, look, guys, I know I've been hit hard on social media, but that wasn't the case. I thought he was far away, and I was just tossing it aside. And you look at the video, it doesn't look like that at all. Yeah, because J- Jason Duffner just dropped his putter on the green like a little bitch. Yes. I think it might have been an Aussie guy, but I, I don't want to falsely name someone. I'll find it. 
Yeah, so that's that's um, she's the dead guy, the caddies. There's a lot going on in golf right now, but we need to move on to crickets. Uh, it's the Women's World Cup starting this weekend. And the reason I'm leading with that is because I'm just tired of talking about the protests. I spoke about them at length last week. Billy Horschel, sorry, that's his name. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Billy yeah, Horschel. That was it. Okay, and but there was another guy in European Tour, also through his uh, club. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Billy Horschel. Uh, so the Women's World Cup gets started. Now, last week I spoke at length about obviously the another. The, the, Another exit from uh, ICC tournament without as any sort of trophy, and uh, I got to be honest, I'm just tired of it. Like last night, I watched the T20 again with fresh eyes. Mm. I don't know where I keep getting these fresh eyes from for <laughs> cricket because they're being so- soared, soiled left, right, and centre by these performances. Uh, and look, I mean, the thing about the T20 side is you don't want to be too harsh because they do try new players. Yeah. But every nation in the world tries new players. Pakistan tries a new team like every single time, and those guys win stuff. <laughs> new, new captain every second. I mean, there was some kid called Mason burning leg spin yesterday for England. He wasn't terrible. No, he wasn't. Jason he was Roy, who couldn't hit a cow's ass in a in a in like in a in a in a scullery loss in the in the Champions Trophy, he was hitting runs last night. And did you see how he went out there? It's like he gave his wicket away. It's like you know what. Cool. I got 28s. I don't want to get cheeky here. I don't deserve any more. So the Women's World Cup starts and it's very much like a Champions Trophy kind of setup in that you got, um, obviously there's fewer teams participating in the women's game as there are in the men's game. So South Africa go there with high, high hopes. Their first match will be against Pakistan and that will be this Sunday. So that'll be 25th of June. Time wise, you're looking at around, um, 10.30 for the start of these matches. And they'll be playing a sort of some of the more secondary grounds. So they'll be playing like in Taunton and Leicester and Derby and Bristol. Um, yeah. So you might not recognize the stadiums they're playing. Otherwise, it's game on. South African woman there. Pakistan will be their first match. Then they'll take on the New Zealand woman. Um, let me just say New Zealand because you know about that they're women. And that will be on Wednesday the 28th next week. And then from there, Pakistan, sorry, West Indies. That'll be the South African ladies um, next challenge. That'll be the next Sunday, which will be July the 2nd. Then they'll take on the English July the 5th. And from there, hopefully with lots of points in the bag, they can wrap it up against the Indians and then hopefully get through to uh, playoff uh cricket so they've still got sri lanka and australia so it's very much a big round robin this is great because you know these like these fragmented tournaments it takes so long yeah no, this is things. a great tournament so the, the format's great obviously the the women's game is going from strength to strength in this country in south africa in the world itself i mean we started to see a women's big bash league it's starting to really take prominence and uh it's really great that how this game is growing so as much as we give the icc crap about the ic3 and all the other different stories they are doing quite a lot for the women's game so that'll be something to look forward to this week and the Proteas will keep playing England and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we've got the top-ranked bowler in the world. In Luss is her surname. I stand to correction, but she's right up there. Um, so we've got a very good side. And also Danae for Nekak, who's taken over the armband. Uh, yep. Also a quality player. Derek, I'm amazed and impressed by your stats, but I've led lead to lead believe that rankings mean nothing. No, agreed. You're right. <laughs> 100% in, uh, what else we got from that? Oh yeah, Wade for Nico. He's still incredible. He had a new top, uh, new hat. Sorry, I'm really battling to speak today. A new 100 meter record for himself. 994 he ran. And people always go like, you know, Usain Bolt's really incredible and he really is. And I still think he's probably the greatest human athlete that's ever been created on this earth. It was like he was shot out from another, like, universe. But Wade for Nico, just to give you some perspective, that 994 is really good, right? In world, in, uh, world sprinting standards. Don't forget, he's also run a 1984 200 and a 4303 400. So he is just the ultimate ultimate. He's he's the only athlete to dip under the three marks exactly. across the three. So in the world in history. Yeah. So that that tells you everything you need so to know. So it's a sub 44, sub 20, and a sub 10. Yeah. Yeah, the guy really is amazing. And then in tennis, Andy Murray, he made the really nice gesture of <laughs> wanting to donate all his prize money from the Queen's event, which is the, you know, the big traditional, uh, the Aegon Championship, the big traditional run up to Wimbledon for all the victims of that recent fire in London, that um, residential estate fire. But then he lost in the first round to a qualifier's qualifier, basically. The, he was meant to play a qualifier and then he messed up his wrist or something. And they just called this Aussie guy. He was probably pulling pints at that stage. Yeah, I reckon he was. And then he pulled in and he beat Andy. So Andy, be be a good bloke and still donate three hundred seventy four thousand pounds. 
because that's what you would have won this week. It would be nice if the Aussies said he would donate his cash, although that pretty much is salary for the next five yeah, years. He, he needs it. Yeah. Otherwise, he won't be able to pay for the YMCA that he's at. <laughs> but what a cool story, though. I mean, it, you couldn't script it better. Uh, no, exactly. The lucky loser gets a call a couple of hours prior. You're back in the tournament. Bad news, though, playing the world's number one tennis player. But he's probably thinking, like, I'll have a laugh. I'll, <laughs> I'll get a good TV time, if nothing else. <laughs> oh, it's an incredible story. So we need to move on to rugby. So that is the big uh, part of today, despite the fact that Derek is a fantastic golf guest he is here mostly talk about rugby so we want to start with the aussies now we know from super rugby that aussie rugby right now is just not great i've I've showcased a few people who've had rants big rants with it be on their local radio and online but a new guy has come to the ranting for <laughs> jack quigley now jack quigley is 29 years old he's a rugby player coach referee and he just loves rugby rugby union now if you love rugby union in australia it's like it's like saying I like Beethoven's unreleased stuff. You know, you're almost yeah. like a, a niche hipster because it's not That's a exactly. huge sport. It yep. really is not a huge sport. But indie he, band follower. Yeah, exactly. An mm. indie band follower who went stopped being relevant 20 years ago. Yes. So he's written, it's roughly 800 words, so I'm not going to go through it all. But he's written this whole thing and he put it out on Facebook and he sent it out to the Qantas Wallabies page. And he, it starts off by going, hi guys, just wondering if you'd be so kind as to pass this on to Michael Checker on my behalf. Now Checker is the very much embattled Aussie Union rugby coach right now who likes to get in the thick of things, but his side is going from bad to worse. So young Jack, he, like all other five, seven, twelve, uh, Aussie rugby fans, witnessed Scotland doing this over the weekend. After two narrow losses, Finn Russell says thank you very much. They have avenged recent losses and they've won in Sydney for the first time. 24-19, the Scots beat the Aussies. And when you think about it, the best Scots, I don't know the sheer number of players, but the best Scots are in New Zealand right now for the Lions Tour. Uh, All two of them. Okay. And then, because they called up one, uh, there was only an original Scot. That was a scrum off. Stuart Hogg. And then he oh, got okay. injured. Right. And then they call, and then, um, Danny Kerr, he pulled out. Right. So then okay. they brought in, uh, the scrum, yeah, I forget his name now, but, uh, yeah, he's their captain. So, yeah, very few Scots in that side. Okay. Well, still, <laughs> instrumental Scots are in New Zealand. <laughs> instrumental Scot, perhaps. Yeah, because, I mean, what Jack was saying was basically it's a Scotland B. Because of the okay, so not losing too many players, but that's not the point. Is that if you look at resources wise, I mean, Scotland aren't exactly a great rugby nation. They're showing great progress in the Six Nations, but you've got to think at home after a long Scottish season. Uh, some players maybe dejected they aren't in New Zealand. The Aussies should have this, okay, even with their player stocks being what it is. But they didn't. Twenty four nineteen, they lost first time in Sydney, first time in Australia, I think it was. So Jack went off and won a big one, and he said, I mean. I'll post this on the, the 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 blog post for this whole show today, but it's a very good and well structured rant. In that, yes, he gets angry and he gets emotional, but in one paragraph, he basically just says, "I've got passion." It just seems like none of you guys have any of this whatsoever. And Michael Checker, to his credit, he took this in because clearly it was given to him, and they were saying, "Oi, mate, have a look at this," and uh, he had this to say about it. When we say come out to presses and say, "Oh, we want to." We want to make the fans proud. It's not lip service. We do. We're not perfect at it sometimes, you know. And, and I think that uh, we expect, expressed, you know, how he was feeling after the game. And I don't think it would be too far away from, you know, maybe not in the detail that he's made than some muscle feeling as well about it. So just spoke to him about, you know, some of the things that we're feeling and what we want to do, what we're going to try and do around it, or what some of the things are in the background. Because... We're feeling the same thing as fans too, you know, and, and yeah, it's, ideally it's all going to be perfect, in, you know, in a perfect world, but that's not the way it is, and I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly part of that world where I'm a fan as well, and, you know, many other sports, and in our own too, I want to see Australia do as best, you know. Okay. Now, if this, if Michael Checker got this letter about two seasons ago, maybe in a season ago, he would have told this guy to get lost. Yeah. Because he's quite a hard-ass guy. I mean, he looks like a Rottweiler who's been malnourished with a very funny ear. Michael Checker is a rough bastard. He's a proper true blue Aussie. And that's why he was given this job, I think, because this Aussie team needed a harden up. But here you see a guy who's... Away from, 
from the game. Almost soft spoken. It's like it's like shit. This guy's so right. I've now got to go and just eat eat humble pie. Mm. So Jack says he's still going to be a fan, but you guys really need to get your act together. Which look, I'm I'm not too upset about this because the way the box size looking right now, I know they can take the Aussies. And again, that's progress. I know they can do that. And England are currently beating Argentina right now. Mm-hmm. Very no, much. No, a, that is a very that's much a B very side. much a B side because there was more than one slash two players from England that have gone to British and Irish Lions cause. So there's some interesting things happening in Southern Hemisphere rugby right now. But you got to think, what's going to be the catalyst for the Aussies to kind of get this right? It's not like they can really call on a couple of players to like shape things up. This is a team that still wants things from guys like Will Genia, who seems to have lost the plot. That mm. guy was amazing back in the day. They still need things from guys like Quade Cooper. Um, Michael Hooper, who was probably one of the youngest guys who've been given the captain's armband for quite some time in that team. There's so much needed from him. But there doesn't seem to be really great players coming through. But I don't want to dwell on the Aussies. I want to get into the box. So Derek, if you were to look at like what essentially is the difference, because people are saying, you know, how how do they turn this around? This is looking really, really great. Is it Brendan Fenter coming in? Is it the fact this team finally has some time together, or is it the fact that maybe we're too harsh and adequate to see it? Is there like kind of one thing you can say around this box turnaround right now? Uh, I would probably say one name, and that's Warren Whiteley. I uh, I heard a interview. Sorry, I, I should have introed th- with that as well. <laughs> I heard a interview today with Sia Khaleesi and, uh, I mean, he's been in the box setup for a couple of years now, good five, six years. Yeah. And he said he's never experienced a better gelled camp or group of players, a happier bunch, and he's never met a better leader. Wow. And that says a lot. He's served under plenty of captains and also, I mean, he's a captain himself over at the Stormers. So he has an idea of what a good leader takes. And yeah, he, he had nothing but praise. For Warren Whiteley And I think that's probably the main catalyst But of course it filters down So you mentioned Brendan Fenter uh, He must also take a lot of the kudos Alistair could see we weren't harsh on him Because last year was abysmal And you can't yeah. take anything away from that But but again, you know, it's finding your feet Jake White never had that Because remember when he came in Suddenly we were an immediate success We went on to win the Tri-Nations that year And he was also named Coach of the Year Boxer named uh, Team of the Year Yeah um, but a lot of teams, if you look in history, the first year is usually your toughest. Eddie Jones, again, being the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, um, Alistair obviously learned a lot of lessons last year. He's brought a lot of people on board. I think he's had a lot more say in who his support staff have been this time around. Which makes a huge difference. Massive. I mean, he literally started by saying, well, as Skwala, you're the new, co- you're the new coach. Uh, firstly, here's for Keelan Balloon's press conference, which you're a guest at. And then these are your staff. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, if you can pick yourself as opposed to being handed them, uh, you will do a lot better. Or you'd assume so, or you'd have more you say. Know what, even if it is, it's not exactly the expertise you're looking at here. It's about having your say yeah, and about doing things the way you want to do. And even, also, if, even if your staff is completely competent, which I'm not getting into now, but it's that having your say thing. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, you want to be around people that you enjoy. Not necessarily yes men, but you know that people can challenge you, but also people that you get on with. Um, people I, you achieve things with as well. Exactly. And I reckon the end of last year, I mean, that European tour must have been a disaster. Uh, I heard some stories saying that they've, people within the setup that were there uh, had never experienced anything as bad mm. on a Springbok tour, which is in complete contrast to now what Sia just said. Well, it was a European tour on the back of taking an absolute walloping oh. from the All Blacks. Oh, yeah. Both home and away. Uh, yeah. So a lot of things, but I, I think if I had to get onto one, it would probably be Warren Whiteley uh, from a player's perspective um, and obviously a captaincy's perspective. Well, I'm glad you bring him up because he's the kind of guy that doesn't really have to grab the headlines. He's quite a soft-spoken guy. He's very much a team guy. Mm. You listen to him at any stage, whether it be at a live event on TV after the match, whatever it is, he's very consistent, which shows great leadership. It's not about a guy being high here, low there. Yeah. And, of course, he puts a lot of effort into the performance leading from the front. Now, people were saying, yeah, but he's no Dwayne Vermeule. And, sure, he's right. of course he's not. Structurally, he is a little bit smaller. He's got a very different game where he goes about things. is very different. But we've got to stop comparing and saying, well, we haven't got a Victor Matfield anymore or we haven't got a Farida Pri anymore. So it was great that we had them, but these new guys, that's the way forward. And I'm finally starting to see, because I went to this really cool Bright Rock event mm. uh, with the players on Tuesday. 
I think it was Tuesday. And it was. talking about the whole team dynamic and how everyone feels happier, I've, I've been to many, many sporting events, whether it be cricket or golf or rugby, and you see the players interacting. And obviously, they're very polite and they're very mm. forthcoming because they feel happy for the sponsors. This event, the, the, the structure of the event was very different. It was very informal. So there weren't seated tables. There was places where you could sit, and it was very much open plan. Everyone got to mingle. And these guys were mingling like it was a wedding. Mm-hmm. Like they were having fun. They were interacting with each other. There was, it wasn't just the forward sitting there or just the bull sitting there. These guys were mingling. And guys like Circlisi were coming up to tables and saying hi to people. Warren Whiteley, you could just see he was the captain. And I, I haven't seen that in so long. Like I go to a few of these events and you, and it's just stale. And I think, I want to go home. This is boring. <laughs> this one was not boring. And there was a genuine vibe. I mean, Mona Duplessis got up there, Xbox, great, and obviously knows his rugby. And he said, there's something about this this camp right now I haven't seen in a very long time. And he wasn't trying to be disparaging towards previous teams or anything else. He just said, there's something about this team. Now, last year, I mean, Adrian Strauss was given the job, and he was essentially the merit choice for to be a captain back then. He had the experience. He had the test caps. He had all the pedigree. It just didn't work. Mm. No, Whether his fault, whatever, that's not important. It just didn't work. Now we've got something that really, really works. But how close do you believe going into rugby championship now are we to establishing the sort of first choice team? I mean, are we literally a couple of players here or there or are we already there in your mind? No, no, no. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, we still need to find our, our perfect 23. And again, uh, modern day rugby, it's the 23. Exactly. Uh, 15 is, is nice, but, uh, it's all about that bench as well. Uh, yeah, we, we're a couple of steps behind, but we're getting there. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a lot better position that we are now than we were at this time last year. Uh, well, the fact that we've actually won all our matches so far helps. Yeah. But, um, funny enough, regarding the Warren story, um, and you mentioned he's small and, uh, I would actually rather prefer him to play a blindside flanker and hand, have Dwayne Vermeulen at eighth man still. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a, a fan of the big, hard-running eighth man, um, not so much the linking player. And I think if you look in our past, we, we that's usually where we've been successful. Um, look at our two World Cup wins. We had Mark Andrews playing eight in 95, yeah. big guy. Um, then we had Donny Rousseau playing in 2007. So again, two converted locks playing at eight. Uh, if you look at how well we did, well, kind of well at this junior world championship, this, uh, Augustus. I mean, a massive, massive bloke. That guy looks like we've stolen him from the Tongan side. He's huge. He's, he's huge. a beast. He's not the tallest of guys, but, yeah, um, he's, but, but he's very big. He's like he's, 117 kilograms yeah. and mobile. Yeah. 1.85. So he's about six foot. Yeah. Um, but, but a, a massive player. Um, and, and I would, Prefer to go with Warren Whiteley on, 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 at blindside with Sia at open. Uh, I think Sia would have to work a bit more on his fetching skills. I know he is in the side as a fetcher, but he's not an out and out fetcher like we've seen the Michael Hoopers and the Chris Clutties. Yeah. So. Who, who's getting a, a go with the SAA he side is this finally, weekend, which, which is, is really yeah. nice. And, and also they've got a new captain. Jean de Jong has been given the boot from captain to the bench. Yeah. Uh, France Offense taking the armband there. So that's how I would play it. And, you know, with Warren, I think he would probably say, I'll never forget, I've known him for a couple of years now, and we went bungee jumping last year. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, would you rather bungee? He had never done it before. And I said, would you rather, you've got three choices, bungee jump, face a team of 15 Kieran Reeds or 15 Dwayne Vermeulens? And he said, okay, in order of how scared he'd be, he'd first face 15 Kieran Reeds, mm-hmm. then he had bungee jump, and last he had faced the Dwayne Vermeulens. I mean, he admits that Dwayne Vermeulen is a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, look, you can rotate the two. You can have one, on, well, obviously not Warren on the bench, but uh, I, that would probably be my ideal loose trio. And yeah, if you had to go further down, I mean, there's, I think our midfield is, that's where we've got to focus on. Uh, that's probably been our Achilles heel over the last couple of years. Um, and, and I reckon we really need to slam down are starting to a note if you look at all black sides of the past the really really good ones have always had that midfield combination oh, from like little and nailed onwards there was always yeah. exactly but a combination not just an individual and that's why i think this this current new zealand side may struggle because as good as sbw is i don't think they know who's his correct partner um uh, oh, we'll get into that in a second but i was surprised how crotty was given the outside yeah, I was very surprised. Uh, I think that that will be their Achilles heel. Just going back to Whiteley and the loose trio, though. So I think Sir Khaleesi deserves every right to go for number six. Like you say, yeah. he's not the traditional fetcher slash open sider, but the guy's playing with so much heart and his leadership you can see coming through. The whole thing about rotating eight and seven 
on the field itself. We've seen it on the scrums already. Warren's packing we down have. on the side of the scrums. We have seen it. Jean-Luc Dupree was going in at number eight quite a lot of the, of the weekend. But to have someone who is, like you say, the more robust traditional birdie number eight, but it's fine. On the field, you can interlink. You can. Like, it, you can it, be flexible it is in very sport, which is so nice. Mm, it is very and, and funny enough, I was watching the box training uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, as you mentioned, Dupree, I saw him packing down at eight throughout the practice session. Um, from start to finish, which, right. which actually said a lot was pretty telling. Also, another thing from the practice, which was pretty cool, the forwards have started this whole new thing where they actually sing. I saw that on TV yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So they run up and down the field and they sing songs. Uh, and it's obviously this team bonding thing. And yeah, they look to be enjoying themselves. And, uh, and they, the traditional Tosa songs and you can see Ibn Etzbeth, uh, trying to, Mild the words, uh, but uh, they'll get into it. It looked like a happy bunch. But it's again, it's enjoying yourself. Yeah. You didn't see the guys enjoy themselves all last year, and that's why they were 33% successful. Yeah, so getting to the backs, Jan Serfentain coming through and showing some form now, which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a guy with, we just knew he was always going to be a, a great because of his junior uh, reputation. Obviously, with what's happening in the Bulls right now, it's quite difficult to have momentum to come through. But last week's game, everyone's been talking about him. Uh, who is best number 13 is right now, if it is Jesse Creel? He just seems game time, I guess. Yeah, he does. And I mean, I, I feel sorry for Lionel Mapu. I thought that he had his best ever game in a box jersey on Saturday. Now he's been dropped to the SAA side. Granted, I mean, if he wasn't first choice, then you're going to give it back to the first choice guy who was Jesse. Um, but I, I thought Lionel played very, very well over the weekend. But I mean, that first match, these two gelled very well yeah. in, in Jan and Jesse. And it, with Jan, like you, I'm so happy that he's performing because in 2012 when he was at IRB under 20 player of the year he was being touted as the next Danny Herber exactly. and he, he looked it he looked the part and then suddenly also from the Eastern Cape yeah Eastern yeah. Cape originally and then he went to Grey High for a few years and then he ended up going to Grey Bloom um, but eventually you know after 2012 stagnated completely I mean he just hit a wall yeah. and he was just kind Inju- of injuries didn't help no without well. a doubt but uh I suppose the one, my, my one concern, and the French haven't retested it, is that sort of very green back three. Mm. They all debuted in the start of the series. Uh, Raymond Rule showed some progress last week. Is always a big question marks around his defense. Uh, could see a, um, Scorsan lines proven through and through, but I mean, will they get a big enough test going through rugby championship is my only concern because they're looking good now. So there's no, you can't drop them really. You're not going to then suddenly bring back a banner and JP Peterson. Mm. So these looked like it's going to be our, our, our back three. Or does someone like Ruan Combrink come back? I see he's been dropped down to the Lions. He's not even on the SAA side this mm. weekend. I, I would be very hesitant to play all three of them in the rugby championship, as you mentioned, because they are completely green. They went into the first test without a single cap between them. Mm. Um, I thought Andreas Kutsia would have been just behind Malcolm Marks in terms of man of the match in that first test. He was yeah, phenomenal. True. Um, the wingers didn't get too much ball. Uh, but they look good. I mean, they haven't put a foot wrong. Um, and they'll only improve or they'll get more experience. Uh, you know, if someone is coming down to bash down the door and stake a claim to be back in that side, then maybe. But, I mean, they haven't done anything wrong. I, I would like to see Ruan Combrink back in the mix because he's sure. a, a big, hard-running winger. Um, both of those guys on the wings aren't the biggest of guys. I mean, they'll admit it themselves. Um, and, you know, the likes of Julian Sevilla, they'll take advantage of that uh, to an extent. But I mean, on, on paper right now, Steve Hansen will look at that and go, okay, Julian Sevilla, he's got one leg, but I'm going to pick him because uh, ex- of aerial battles and nothing else. Yeah, except when you're playing against the Lions because Julian Sevilla is not even in match 23. Which is currently. Mm-hmm. So moving on to that, while well, we still have a bit of time, the the two teams have been announced for the clash, the big clash. And everyone's been saying, like, you know, there's two Lions teams. The midweek team has lost to the Blues, it's lost to the Highlanders. It almost lost to a bunch of guys who were just in an area playing for a New Zealand County District something or other team. <laughs> but the team has been announced, and Kieran Reid is back for the All Blacks. So to go through it, Ben Smith, number 15, he'll start any rugby team at number 15. He's just incredible. Israel Dag, because Ben Smith is so great, he's pretty much seen as a winger now. Crusaders can chop and change him, but when it, when it comes to All Blacks, he'll literally be on the wing. Now, Ryan Crotty's come back from injury, and he'll partner Sonny Bill Williams. 
I'm very surprised that Anton Leonard Brown is not giving, given the 13 jersey because he looked pretty good against Samoa as well. Mm, he looked very good. Now, New Zealand had only one game prior to the series, and it was just a literally a little run out against Samoa, which is pretty much the complete opposite of what they'll get against the Lions. Free open scoring match. They put about a point a minute up there. That's not going to be the case. So that's your center pairing. Uh, Rico Yani, he is the left wing, the Blues player, prolific try scorer, this guy. So there's no Julian Sevilla. And then Burden Barrett, who is amazing. But he kicks about as well as Derek and I sometimes. Mm. So going to a test like this where these guys, it's going to be very, very tight. And if the weather does turn, like we saw against the New Zealand Maoris recently, that was a game where it's all about the Lions. They can scrum well, they'll kick their points, and then they'll just outlast you and then find the gaps. So there's always going to be a question mark between can is Barrett's the best fly-off, no doubt about it. But when it comes to looking at those posts, I mean, his brother kicks for the Hurricanes. Yeah, he Geordie, does. he's played rugby for about five minutes in super rugby levels. Aaron Smith, he's number nine. Uh, of course, he's always a first choice. Karen Reed is back, so he'll captain the team at number eight. Sam Kane and Jerome Kaino, seven and six. Do you think Kaino is still got at this level? Yeah, he's not bad. Uh, I always think, I think every year, I think, well, this is going to be the year when someone else tests him. And uh, look, he kind of proves us wrong. He's, he's like the Clint Eastwood of loose forwards. He know? is. He's he really a hard is. bastard. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's been around and he's still a grizzled, tough flanker. Whitelock and Rotalic is the usual combination there. And then Owen Franks, there is no um, Dan Coles still no. out of injury. So Cody Taylor, the, the Crusaders guy, comes in. And then Joe Moody. So it's a very familiar look. On the bench, Nathan Harris comes in, who then be essentially was... Ref- Originally the third choice hooker, so he comes in now. Wyatt Crockett, the most cap super rugby player of all time. Charlie Farmawina, he'll be the loose head cover. And then Scott Barrett. I keep forgetting there's a Barrett who plays in the Ford pack as well. Scott, yeah. Good yeah. luck. Audie Severe, he can cover the loose trio. Uh, amazing player. Great impact player. Probably one of the guys, if you were to have a, the best bench in the world right now, he would obviously be a loose Ford mm. cover. TJ Barrett Nara as well. He's a nuggety scrum off who's just all over the place. He tackles like a loose forward anyway. And then Cruden and Sapawanga have been bracketed. Sapawanga was so crappy against the Lions for the Highlanders. I think mean, he's lucky to be bracketed. And then Leonard Brown. Now, to go into the British and Irish Lions team, now, Derek, you'll know a lot more about this than I will. Um, the big thing here is that the captain, Sam Warburton, has not been picked for the starting 15. Mm. Now, you believe that he's not a touch on CJ Sander anyway. No, no. Uh, and I think many would agree with you. It's yeah. not exactly a stretch there. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been quite vociferous about the whole thing. Again, I've known CJ for a long time. So obviously, I'm very biased. Yeah. But... I think if you're looking for a bench player, CJ, in my mind, unfortunately, hasn't had the best of tours purely because he's been played out of position. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, he played eighth man in the last test for Ireland uh, when they beat England. But his traditional position is on the side of the scrum. Um, But that being said, he's had a very good tour by anyone else's standards. But I think by his standards, he would have preferred to have done a lot better. He's also a real big game player. I mean, we saw how he gets better and better with Ireland. Exactly. He's the kind of guy that you would want to go to war with, as they say in the classics. He is just that kind of guy. I just just think that playing him an eighth man immediately puts him in opposition to Toby Falata, who's an incredible eighth man. And they're two very different types of players. Again, similar to the hard-running, bulky eighth man to the linking eighth man. And... um, side of the scrum I think if he was playing that from the start then it would have been a competition between him and Sean O'Brien Sean O'Brien getting the knot but Peter O'Mani I mean what a story to be only be called up because of injury against England I mean that's his first test start in since 2016 last year wow um and suddenly he's the captain of the British and Irish Lions but I I, I mean I wonder what happens now Sam Warburton being named on the bench does he remain Tour captain? Does he still call the shots? I mean, when they go into these big team meetings now, does I, I he? I guess he would, but it's a good question. <laughs> it's and it's strange because and like, uh, when, half when the sides already won the armband. Yeah, when he comes on, is he automatically the captain, yeah. or do they just see how it's going with Peter Mahoney? <laughs> so just to run you through the team, Liam Williams, the Welsh guy, will be the fullback there. Very uh, surprised by that, by the way. Yeah, well, look, you just become so accustomed to seeing Lee Halfpenny kick everything. Mm. And that's, again, you know, tight test matches, you want that. Anthony Watson, the English winger, will be the uh, number 14 in the right wing. Jonathan Davies from Wales will partner Ben Teo from England in the centres. I think Teo is the kind of guy you want to play against New Zealand, yeah. especially against Sonny Bill Williams. It's an easy selection. And uh, he's people, a Kiwi. So. Yeah, exactly. People were saying, you know, was he going to get the nod or would it be Farrell to go to inside and then Sexton at 10? Well, Farrell's at 10. He's come back from injury, so England's fly will be there. Elliot Daly, who is actually see-through. He's the most transparent. He's the whitest guy I've ever seen in my life. Seriously, he is. He's like, 
when he plays for England, all you see is his boots. Yeah. It's like Casper on the wing there. And then Conor Murray, he'll be the number nine. Uh, Felitao, as Derek was saying, he's a classy eighth man. He is the eighth man for the British and Irish Lions. Sean O'Brien will partner up with uh, Peter Maher, and the two Irish guys on the side of the scrum. And then George Cruz. 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 Spelt very Afrikaans. Yeah, there. it is. Yeah, so he'll be the number five. Alan Wynne-Jones, number four. And then your front row is Furlong, George, and Vuni Polo. So Ireland, England, England there. And in the, in the, the replacements, Ken Owens will be the replacements, uh, hooker. And then Jack McGrath, Kyle Sinclair, Maria Atoje. Did you think that was a fair call to have him on the bench? No, no, I would have had him up front. You would have started with him. Yeah. Uh, this, even despite all the hype, because he is a great player, I yeah. think he deserves to start. Um, yeah, I would have him there in place of Wynn Jones and have the English combo. But I guess what they're thinking is that Wynn Jones can be, you know, good for the first sort of first sector of the match and the Toja's going to have a massive impact over the bench because every single team has come, come second to the All Blacks, which is every single team in the world. Yeah. It's because they can't match them in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, correct. And yeah, I suppose, I mean, there is method to that, but I mean, you know, you could hurt them up front and, and maybe, Dominate that first exactly. asset. Be positive, then, take it to them. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe build up a lead and, and then bring Win Jones on. I mean, look, it's, it's horses for courses, but yeah. I, I would have gone for it, Yeah, it's ultimately a, a coach call. You think mm. there, he's, he's in the camp, so he might know. And then Sam Warburton is very confused on the bench from there. Mm. Extra loose forward cover, and then Reese Williams, Johnny Sexton, and Lee Halfpenny. Uh, I mean, look, obviously your heart goes with New Zealand. Your head's kind of saying it's New Zealand. What, what for you are the key factors here for the British and Irish Lions to actually win this? They got to play like they played against the Maoris and the Crusaders. I mean, that Crusaders game, I think that gave New Zealand a fright in terms yeah. of the nation, not just the team. Because up until then, they had been pretty much the whipping boys. They'd lost a few games. And um, to hold the Crusaders scoreless takes a hell of a lot of doing. Uh, and that is an incredible feat. And, and, and they just kind of strangled them into submission yeah. almost and uh, I mean they didn't score any tries but they didn't need to they, Ref they were to play quite well that game though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct uh, but uh, changes for me I was, I was very surprised with Williams being at fullback um, I thought Halfpenny would have got the nod yeah. um, although as someone pointed out to me the fact that you've got uh, you've got the K- Owen Farrell kicking for poles you don't really need a great kicker but that well, being exactly, said yeah. Williams hasn't played um, much at, at fullback. Uh, most of his last six tests have been at wing. Um, but yeah, not not a massive decision that. But um, overall, pretty happy with the side. I uh, would have liked to have seen Itojo start. I like the centre combination. I think uh, Tio will be very good against the All Blacks. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you'd have to back the All Blacks. But uh, they're going to be run pretty close. I reckon the Lion side's got a shock in them. Well, I'm not playing golf on Saturday purely so I can watch this, <laughs> and I'm sure you're excited about this too. That is it for The Bounce Show this week with Derek. Thanks so much for coming through, Derek. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Really, really great to have you in the studio. Nothing better than having in-studio guests, so, especially as someone who knows so much about sport, which you really do. Thank you. I mean, you really shocked me with some of that golf stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> Going to play out this week with um, this woman I found on YouTube, because you know I'm big on YouTube. Well, I'm not big on YouTube, but I like YouTube. Yeah. I've started a channel. I am putting out weekly videos. This last video you'll see involves my cat because I'm being creative like that. But it was for a competition and she had to pick a winner. Anyway, I'm still going ahead with that uh, try of running 100 meters in sub-12 seconds. Uh, I almost vomited this week, but that's a good sign apparently. You send Bolt vomits to practice. So if I can vomit too... I'm going to be a sprinter. So I'm oh, going to finish you were a sprinter in Cape Town 10s then. Well, you vomited a lot. I vomited a lot there. <laughs> so my dicky stomach aside, let's finish off with Superwoman on, on uh, YouTube talking about how ridiculous sports interviews are. Catch you next week. When watching sports, I can't be the only one that notices how dumb sports interviews are. It's happening.